Good evening and welcome to Mets 360 here on Cast. Uh, been a while since we uh, fired up the podcast, so I'm real excited uh, to get back into the seat again. And joining me tonight is Mets 360 writer Matt Netter. Matt, how's it going? Great, Brian. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Well, um, Matt jumped through like 20 different hurdles to uh, to get onto the to the <laughs> podcast tonight, including trying three different microphones before he found one that works. So uh, I appreciate uh, your doggedness in, in getting to it. So let's put you on the hot seat right away. Matt, Sounds what do good. you think? Matt, what do you think about uh, the, the new GM, uh, Brody Van Wagen, and uh, a good hire for the Mets? It's, I don't know if I could say this word, but it's a ballsy hire. Um, it was not the safe pick, and it can go in one of two directions. It's either going to go incredibly well or incredibly bad. This guy's either going to be groundbreaking and have other organizations look to hire agents like they do in the NBA, or it's going to be a, an unmitigated disaster and he's not going to make it through one year. Well, since we're Mets fans, let's talk about the worst-case scenario. <laughs> why, why would you say that he wouldn't make it through the year? Um... There's the conflict of issue, interest issue. There's the fact that he really has no experience in an organizational role. Um, it could work against him with negotiating. There's also the issue of the three incumbent GMs and a meddling ownership. Um, people tripping over each other. You know, what, what's the hierarchy? What's the pecking order? Who has the final say? I mean, there's so much that can go wrong. But if it's done exactly right, if everything falls into place and this guy's a good face man and a good negotiator and maybe he just leads the charge with free agency and contract negotiations and leaves, you know, what everybody else is best to. And that's what a leader does. A leader recognizes everyone's strengths and lets them do their thing. Maybe it works. Well, he uh, was, uh, I forget what the exact title was, but I mean, he, he essentially uh, made up the baseball division or leaded, head, led the baseball division over at CAA, and yeah. uh, that's not a, a tiny little organization, and I'm sure he's used to being in a leadership role. I, I don't see where necessarily the problems are unless... Um, the uh, the Wilpons try to take advantage of uh, maybe his lack of uh, familiarity and try to put themselves into it more than 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 they frankly should. But uh, you know, I, I think that was one thing that was that was good about Sandy Alderson. I think that uh, you know he certainly was respectful of ownership, but I mean it was his show, and will they allow it to be the the Brady VW show? I guess that's the big question for me. One thing I'm very curious to see is will the, organi will the organization's relationship with Scott Boris change now? Because Alderson effectively closed that door. Is Van Wagenen going to reopen it? Well, that, that's certainly an interesting question. And, and the good news is it can't be any worse. I mean, right. it, it got to the point where Boris was taking pot shots, uh, to, telling the Mets to, to quit uh, shopping in the discount racks. Right. So, you know, it, 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 he can't do anything to screw it up. It's already screwed up. Yeah, it's true. So, um, uh, you know, you never want to uh, alienate a uh, powerful agent. And it certainly seems like the Mets had done that with Boris. But the flip side of that is they had such a good relationship with uh, with Van Wagenen. And, and, you know, what will happen with CAA clients moving forward? Will they, um, uh, will the CAA agents feel a need to, uh, I don't know, uh, assert independence? 
um, uh, I mean, I guess that's a, a tiny bit of a worry. Well, he's recused himself, so now it'll be on his... It was a three-man operation that was running the baseball division at CAA, so now it'll be on to the other two guys. But will this help or hinder negotiations with, say, Jacob deGrom? I don't know the answer to that. Well, um, alleged... I, would, I, would, I would think it would help, but we don't really know. And it all comes down to, are the Wilpons going to spend the money? Uh, allegedly, he's not going to have anything to do with uh, contracts with uh, the guys that he used to represent. So um, he, he won't be at the negotiating table. I, I mean, I guess it's hard to believe that he won't be in on the discussion somehow, but he won't be face-to-face -face at, the, at the bargaining table. So it'll be real curious to see um, how that plays out. But uh, uh, let, let's move on, and uh, you mentioned DeGrom, so um, let, let's talk about him. Uh, how do the, the Mets handle the potential extension? I think the rumor has it that uh, Jeff Wilpon is already uh, throwing uh, irons into the fire in that regards. I liked what one of our contributors, MetSense, um, put up today, I think it was, or maybe it was yesterday, um, about... You know, kind of speaking to ownership, seeing how far they would go, what's in their comfort zone, or maybe pushing it a little bit, and putting an offer out there and seeing just how far off it is. Let's say we put out a five-year deal at whatever the market rate is for an ace pitcher. Is it $30 million a year now? And see, is that not even close? Is he looking for an eight-year deal, or is he looking to be the highest-paid pitcher in baseball? Does he want something beyond what Max Scherzer has? Who knows? But if we're that far apart, then maybe we have no choice but to explore a trade while, you know, he's got maximum value. Because right now, and I, I pointed this out um, in something I posted today, he's a slowly depreciating asset. Right now, he's got two years of, of arbitration eligibility remaining. He's coming off the best season of his career. Teams would, would you know, trip over themselves for him. A team like the Yankees would, would trade, you know, who knows what for him. You know, it could be a franchise-altering haul, like, you know, back in the day when, when uh, Herschel Walker was traded in the NFL, it could be that kind of thing. But the longer we wait, you know, I don't, I don't want to trade DeGrom 18 months from now, you know, when he's just about to hit free agency, and then we're like, okay, here's a prospect or two. You know, it's kind of like with the Manny Machado thing. The Orioles should have traded him a year ago. You know, they still got some talent in return, but compared to what they would have gotten... So I think now's this offseason they have to figure that out. Well, I, I disagree with you. I think that uh, they would get a substantially similar package if they trade him at the uh, deadline this year. Uh, I don't think no, they not need this to year. Rush. I'm talking about I'm talking about well, the following year. But I'm saying there's no need to rush into a deal right now. Okay. Uh, they can they can certainly let uh, uh, the new GM get his feet wet, get settled into the job. He doesn't have to trade him, you know, one month into his tenure. He could uh, wait until the deadline. And to me, that has two advantages. One, it makes uh, Brody a little more comfortable in his job. And uh, two, it, uh, it also gives the Mets a chance to see how the 2019 season unfolds. I think if you trade DeGrom right now, you're pretty much running a, a white flag up. And uh, I can't imagine that this ownership group is prepared to do that. So I think it makes uh, a lot more sense to see if, if everyone is relatively healthy and uh, productive and they can keep up their pace from uh, September and, and, and move forward and be strong. And, you know, if they're uh, 
if they're right in the thick of the playoff uh, chase, then there's absolutely no reason to trade them. But if they're 20 games uh, below 500, like they were uh, last year at the trade deadline, then then sure, shop them then and see what you can get. I, I agree with that to an extent because one of the main issues facing Van Wagen and ownership is, de- is uh, declining attendance. If they were to trade DeGrom right now, what would that do to attendance? I mean, attendance really plummeted this past season. You know, they have to at least give fans the illusion that they want to be competitive this year. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that it would be a, a big negative, and I don't know what the the season ticket sales are, are looking like uh, compared to the same time last year, but I can't imagine that a, a sale of DeGrom here in the offseason would, uh, would help ticket sales in, in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about instead of trading somebody, let's talk about the potential to acquire someone. Who's your top free agent target for the Mets this off season? Um, well, the first thing I, I want to say is that, and I said this last year too, but Sandy didn't listen to me. <laughs> I, I would love to see the Mets explore trades before they dive into the free agent market. I, I just feel like the, the free agency is not the way to build a team. Um, yeah, you can plug a few holes, but what we did, the way we did it last year was all wrong. It was like we were, we were just trying to paint by numbers and find the, the cheapest guy that we felt comfortable with who filled the need, and that, that's just not the way you go about doing it. But you asked me a specific question, so I'll answer with somebody very unexpected, David Robertson. Former White Sox closer, setup man for the Yankees the, yeah. the past few years. He looks um, terrific. He's always healthy. Um, he looks as good as ever. I think he'd make a great closer, and he'd be cheaper and possibly better than Craig Kimbrell. Robertson is, is certainly an interesting uh, guy. He's had nothing but success. Uh, I don't think he's the same pitcher he was when he was closing for the White Sox three, four years ago. I don't think he throws his fastball nearly as often as he did then. He's much more of a a 50-50 guy between his fastball and his breaking ball. Uh, Can that survive in in the ninth inning uh, with his experience? I guess it could. Uh, I I would certainly be interested in, in Robertson at the right price. I think he's... Adapted. He doesn't throw quite as hard as he used to. He still brings it up there, but his control has really improved. He really can pinpoint the corners, and his secondary stuff is, is better than ever. He really, at the end of the season, looked as good as I'd ever seen him, and he's cool under pressure. He pitched in New York for the Yankees. And like I said, he never gets hurt. I don't want to jinx the poor guy. I, I think, and I, I think he would come cheaper than not just Craig Kimbrell, but also some of the other closers out there. The only caveat, of course, being that they were saying the same thing last year about Todd Frazier, and then he ends up going on the DL for the the first time in his career, and not only does it go on once, he goes on twice. So yeah, uh, that's, that's in, the that that's all about that uh, ancient Indian burial ground below the field. <laughs> we can't help that. So I, I made reference to this earlier about how well the the, the Mets played uh, in September, and it actually goes further than that. In their last 51 games, they were 31 and 20, and that's a 98 win pace over 162 games. So is that closer to the real Mets, or is it uh, what they did in uh, May and June when they uh, played at about a 250 clip instead? I think they're closer to the team at the end. 
I think May and June, just everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. They had a, a phenomenal amount of injuries that would have that would have hobbled any team. Um, pitchers, hitters, it just the hitting especially. They just they had no lineup left at one point. Um, there was no home run threat in the lineup, and with um, Conforto struggling at first to come back from his injury, on top of Frazier, Bruce, and Cespedes all being out, and of course David Wright too. That goes without saying. They just couldn't muster any offense at all, and that was when you know Degrom was losing all those one nothing games, and you know, and Familia didn't help matters in the bullpen. But we just we lost a lot of you know low scoring games during that period, especially. And then Syndergaard's injury was really terrible timing. That didn't help, and Steve Matz got off to had a, had a really rough stretch for a while there. Um, I just, I just think it was a combination of just everything going wrong at once, and I don't believe they're that bad a team. I think we've got a ways to go to be a 90-win team. There's more than just a hole or two that needs to be plugged, but I think we're closer to that than we are, you know, to being on par with the Marlins. And do you think that's an opinion that's shared in the organization or through the majority of the fan base? Um... I mean, if you don't count, what's his name, Chris F? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I, I do believe that. The team has a lot of talent. This is not a team like, you know, you watch like the San Diego Padres or um, the Cincinnati Reds or, or, or the Florida or the, the Miami Marlins. It's, there are teams that just have very little talent. The Mets have a decent amount of talent. I, I don't believe that they're ripe for a rebuild. I think they've got a potentially awesome rotation and they've got enough pieces in place in the field and in the lineup that they can build around they need to completely rebuild the bullpen um, and they need a catcher and a few other things but I don't think they're you know I don't know if they can be a World Series team next year but I do believe that they can battle at least for a wild card next year and I don't think they're in a very tough division well let's talk about the uh, weak link in that rotation that you just mentioned and that's Jason Vargas. He got off to such an unbelievably terrible start last Brutal. year. Yeah. But you you look at his last I don't know 8 10 uh starts of the year and he was really good. Yeah, he and was. I'm sure I'm sure that's the guy that they were fingers crossed that they were getting. And, uh, you know, his history was always he was much better in the first half than he was in the second half. And then last year he kind of flipped the script, uh, as it were. So it, was that just a thing or uh, do you do you have any hope for him? Do, do those last few starts give uh, give any any promise to this is a guy who could at least be a, a rotation? I mean, uh, an, an innings eater in the rotation. It's wishful thinking, but I had really. I, I was pushing for that signing, and I was, I was, I was pleased with that one. Of the four major signings last off season, that was the one I actually liked the best. I felt like he could be this team's Bobby Ojeda, that soft tossing, crafty veteran lefty to mix in among the hard throwing righties. Um, and I know he had the mixed season the year before. We had a great half and a bad half, um, but he really looked formidable down the stretch this year. I know he got off to a terrible start. It was partly injury-related. Uh, maybe it was change of scenery, too. But I think he's going to be okay. I don't think he's going to be more than your number four or five starter, giving you five or six innings, maybe twice through the lineup. 
but I think he can be effective in that role. And, you know, thankfully, because the Mets have a little bit of depth, um, you know, if anything goes south with that, that's not the end of the world. I think all of us would uh, sign on the dotted line for five, six strong innings each night from Vargas. Yeah, uh, that would really uh, go a, a long way towards uh, filling one of the black holes. What really hurt last year was uh, in the in the first half of the season all of those early exits where he was leaving in the the third inning, the second inning, and I think there might have even been a start or two where he was leaving in the first inning. And uh, that when your bullpen's not good to begin with, that just kills you. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm curious that that you were you were uh, pretty pretty bullish on the the signing last year, huh? Yeah, I was. I I I, I admire your honesty. Yeah, I was not as bullish on some of the other signings, particularly Anthony Swarzak, um, but that one I felt good about. I felt that was exactly what they needed. All right. Well, as long as we're we got you in a bullish mood, let me ask you about a guy who I, I think you kind of like, and uh, that's Wilmer Flores, who's got a real uh, interesting situation this year. He's arbitration eligible, and he's probably going to make somewhere in the neighborhood of five million dollars, which isn't a lot, but it's also more money than someone in his role might get otherwise i mean mm-hmm. f- starting first baseman last year we're getting five million dollars as a free agent can the mets really pay him five million dollars for the 300 uh, at bat uh, role that he's suited for would you tender him a contract i would not i would not but i would not just let him walk away i can't remember maybe you recall there was a player the mets did this with a few years ago where his arbitration number got a little too high and they instead negotiated a more reasonable salary with him. And I think Wilmer would be open to that because he wants to be in New York. He loves it there. And the fans love him. And I, I'm a big fan too. But I agree with you. He's not worth $5 million. I think he could potentially have a place on the roster. Um, but as you and I have discussed, he gets exposed when he plays every day. I like him as a bench bat. I like that he gives you a little versatility. I love the way he... He normally, not so much this year, hits left-handed pitching. Um, if he's willing to come back for, say, $2 million, I'd be happy to bring him back, especially where we're you know, giving Peter Alonso a little more time and we're trying to figure out the first base situation. And, you know, and uh, we've got Jeff McNeil, who maybe isn't 100% proven yet at second. And Wilmer, although I hate him at third base, he could play it in a pinch. I like his bat off the bench as a pinch hitter. You know, there's DH games. I don't have a problem bringing him back for if, if he's willing to come back for two million, and if he can get five million somewhere else, you know, bless him, let him take it. All right, well, that warms my heart to hear you say that. So let's let's uh, talk about another guy that uh, that I'm ready to uh, ship out of town, and that's uh, Juan Lagares. Do you think that Oof. the club can count on anything in from uh, Mr. Lagares here in 2019? I don't think they have a choice. Um, I mean, just from the standpoint of. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the last year of his contract, and it's sort of a balloon payment where he's going to get $9 million this year. Yeah, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I thought that he had one more year after this, but I wouldn't swear to it. But, but I know it, it was a backloaded deal. Yes, absolutely. Um, um, I'm not sure if this is the last year or second to last year, but yeah, it's definitely backloaded. And because of that and because of his injury history, he's basically untradeable. 
he looked fantastic for that one month or whatever it was that he played before he got hurt. He looked better than ever. Like he figured it out with the launch angle and adjusting his swing, and his defense has always been sensational, and he's a good base runner, and by all accounts, a good clubhouse guy. I don't think they have a choice but to bring him back, but I would not count on him to be the everyday center fielder. I think that would be foolish given his injury history. So ideally, you know, the Mets either... If they have to settle for it, they platoon him with with Nimmo in center, and Nimmo can also fill in in the corners. Or they go out and they get at least a platoon partner for him in center. Um, but right now, it's it's just too thin out there to rely on him. You know, especially if Bruce is going to play any first base, and we know Cespedes is going to miss at least half the season. Um, Austin Jackson's a free agent, and I'm not thrilled about the idea of bringing him back. He looks washed up to me. Now, with Ligaris, you were ticking off a, a number of positive attributes with him. You don't think that if the, the Mets picked up uh, half the contract that they could find the taker? Maybe they could, but my issue with that is he's the one gold glover we got, and he's a homegrown kid. I really wanted him to work out, and I've always rooted for him. Um, I'm just tired of looking around the field with the Mets, and this is one of the things I really did not like about Sandy Alderson. And seeing these guys who are either out of position, or they should be DHing, or they're just mediocre at best fielders, and it goes back to Daniel Murphy and others. You know, you can't have gold lovers at every position, but it's nice to have a couple, especially up the middle. Um, and you look at teams like the Rays um, and the Cardinals, any team that traditionally overachieves, look at their defense. It's almost like the equivalent of special teams in football. You can't just ignore it. It might not be the most important thing, but you can't ignore it or it'll, or it'll bite you, especially when your team's reliant on pitching. And I think the Mets need to get you know better with their gloves. Well, certainly uh, we've all seen a, a number of, of highlight reel defensive play from Ligaris, and the question is always is how much does the, the defense offset um, the almost complete lack of offense because he's, he's a singles hitter. And, and you have, it was very encouraging this time last year when he was allegedly revamping his swing to try to, to, to do what J.D. Martinez did. But in the brief time that he played, he hit more ground balls than ever. They found holes. He had a real shiny average, but we know that uh, over a full season that uh, the, the hits weren't going to continue to fall in. No. And unless he does something different, unless he really does uh, produce on on the fly ball revolution and and hit some doubles and homers. I mean, it, to me, the 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 equation's just not worth it. Well, he's not quite Dave Magadan because at least he's got wheels. I mean, he's not going to steal 50 bases, but he can take an extra base here and there. Um, you know, he's definitely faster than average, so I like that about him also. But it's also where do you put him in the lineup? Does he bat eighth? Does he? You know, he's just. He doesn't have the power to bat in the middle. He doesn't really have the OBP to bat at the top. Um, I know he's limited. He didn't. He definitely did not pan out the way we had all hoped when they signed him to that contract. That was uh, certainly a, an uncharacteristic move for Alderson. Signed a, a defensive first guy to a, a multi-year uh, backloaded deal. Well, and he did. He did look like a hitter early on. Well, again, it was a case of all the singles falling in, and once that once that stopped happening, yeah. I, I think I think his best offensive season 
where he played uh, you know more than one month's worth of games. He had a 700 or 703 OPS. I mean, it, wow. it's it's just not good enough. It's just not good enough. All right. Well, speaking of not good enough, crazy prediction time. Are you ready? Uh, no, you go first on this one. All right. Well, uh, if anyone's listening for the first time uh, in this segment, uh, we each give a crazy prediction and comment on it. So I'll, I'll give you mine first. My crazy prediction. And, and, and uh, a little side note is almost no one finds my crazy predictions crazy. So I'm, I'm trying to up the game today. Even though none of my predictions come true, they all get, no, nah, that's not crazy. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping for a crazy tonight. My crazy prediction is that the Mets will extend two pitchers before the end of the 2019 season, and neither of them will be DeGrom. Wow. That is a crazy prediction. Woohoo! That Finally. That is crazy. You got me there. Finally. Finally, somebody thinks that uh, my off-the-wall stuff is truly off-the-wall. So the you wall. think Thor and who else? And Wheeler. You think Wheeler. Wheeler makes me nervous. I love his stuff. Oh, my God, I love to watch him pitch. Um, but his injury history makes me so nervous. His mechanics are definitely better now than they were, but he worries me. Um, my crazy prediction... Todd Frazier will not be the starting third baseman in 2018. I, I I give you that that is crazy. I don't know if we've had a, a case. We certainly can't have had too many of them when uh, both the host and the guest came up with a crazy prediction on the same night. My, my uh, reasoning for that is just there's only so many center fielders and catchers out there, and we have four potential in-house solutions at first base third base is the next place where we could upgrade and he's only got one year left and he had a really rough season and i think we could always unload him if we needed to now this ties in nicely with how we started off uh the segment tonight and and that's speaking about the new gm who was also the guy who negotiated frazier's contract that's right and how would he feel about sending off one of his guys somewhere else? Um, is that something maybe uh, like a rite of passage that he has to do? Something that he has to uh, show that he's not beholden to the guys that he used to represent? I maybe. think so. I think maybe. so. He's gonna have, there's going to be some bitter pills to swallow for him. In a lot of ways, and you'll see my post tomorrow, it's uh, 20, 20 questions for Brody Van Wagenen. I, I think he's got a lot of tough stuff ahead of him. He's a lot of decisions he's got to make very early on. And, of course, it's, you know, every Mets fan's dream to be the GM. But right now, I'm not sure I'd want to be in his shoes. So, getting back specifically to Frazier, you were talking uh, a little bit earlier about wanting to have a uh, uh, a few good gloves. And, and certainly, Frazier uh, has been the best uh, non non-David Wright third baseman we've seen in a couple of decades. I actually think he's better than David Wright. Wow. Yeah, I always thought Wright was overrated as a third baseman. Um, and dare I say it, overrated as a player in a lot of ways. I know a lot of people hate me for saying that. He's a great guy. Everybody loves him. I just... My memories of David Wright are, yeah, the back of his baseball card always looked good, but he was never the one that got the big clutch hits. 
and defensively he made some highlight plays with those barehanded plays but he made plenty of errors too in his throws especially you know, I mean not as bad as Hojo back in the day but he made a lot of throwing errors well um, I, I, I don't know whether that's true or not I, I do know that he was outstanding coming in and fielding the ball it's yes. certainly possible that he was not uh, uh, as good going to his left cutting off balls uh, that way but uh, I, outs- I, will, I will tell you that my, my single biggest frustration with watching the Mets is seeing how many ground balls get through the infield, particularly on the right side. I'm so tired of seeing it. I'm a huge Drupal Guerrero fan. He was one of my favorite Mets, and I'm sad to see him go. But he had no range at all. He was like a coat rack out there. And then whether you had Bruce or Flores or Dom Smith or whoever at first base, just it just seemed like every other ground ball to the right side made its way through. Well, I would blame the second baseman there more than the first baseman. But uh, I thought that uh, McNeil uh, looked better than than I expected uh, defensively last year. So it'll be real curious for me to see how he does uh, this year in in a full season's worth of uh, playing time. You You know what? On that note, if you don't mind me bringing up something a little off topic. Shoot. This is something that I don't understand about the Mets organization. In terms of evaluating our own talent... We also heard that Michael Conforto was a weak fielder, and I think he's solid, and he's made some nice plays. And then we heard that Dominic Smith was supposed to be, you know, soft-hand, gold-glove type. I don't like what I see from him at all over at first base. And now we're hearing that Peter Alonso might be a weak fielder. Maybe he's a gold-glover. Do they know how to evaluate fielders in this organization? Well, I think that uh, in in the specific case of Conforto, he came to the Mets with uh, a less than than glowing defensive reputation, and and maybe he just didn't get the opportunity to show his defensive chops in the minors very much, or or maybe it was that he hit so well that you know the fielding became secondary, and perhaps the 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 rep from college just followed him and and also it's a lot easier to work on your defense and and get at least up to somewhat kind of sort of average than uh, to work on your hitting and and do the same thing and 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 maybe we should be looking at guys like McNeil and and Conforto the ones who came out without the great reps and, and say hey maybe they put the work in to to get better than what we thought okay I'll buy that the the one the one that that always kills me is Lagaris because pretty much every minor league scouting report said that he could play center if he had to but he was much better suited for a corner wow. and then he turns around and and he's a gold glove center fielder and we were talking earlier about David Wright being so good um, coming in on the ball I mean we can all name third basemen who are really good charging the ball I've never seen I'm not a Lagaris fan but I've never seen anybody better in center field charging the ball and throwing than he is. The other thing is the way he goes back, too. I, I can't help myself. If, if, if Nimmo or Conforto or, or, or Jackson or whoever is playing center field, anybody basically other than Ligaris or, or your favorite, Matt Dendecker, he does a good job, too. Anyone other than those two, I'm like, geez, Ligaris would have had that or even Dendecker would have had that. You know, you, you, you see them and they just, they don't quite cut the right route or they don't react quickly enough and they just, they don't have half the range that he has. 
well some of that is is speed some of that is um, you know the the time that he spent in center um, I mean Nimmo should be better uh, because certainly he played a lot of center in the minors but I don't know how much Nim, uh, how much Conforto played at all so I mean at, at some of that edge is is due to experience I think yeah all right well let, let's see if we can get to a couple more questions here sure. um, uh, we got uh, two guys who uh, were, were both hoping to have a, uh, a big rebound here in, in 2019, and that's Jay Bruce and Todd Frazier. Um, I guess, um, judging from your uh, crazy prediction, that you would think that uh, Jay Bruce is going to have the, the bigger uh, bounce-back season. Is that true? I think he will. I don't know if he'll see the life the life of this three-year contract on the Mets. He may be traded during that contract. He is just... I like him and I want to root for him, but he epitomizes everything that was wrong about Sandy Alderson's thinking. He's just the wrong player. Um, yeah, he'll go through streaks and he hits home runs, and um, he's not a terrible outfielder, but he just he's got no foot speed at all. He strikes out too much. He's too streaky. He's just not the kind of player you really want on your team in modern baseball. He would have been great on an American League team 10 years ago, but he just he doesn't match the speed of the game. He's not a dynamic player. He can play a little first base, but he's basically stuck in right field. He's not a guy who can play multiple positions. Um, he's really kind of a dinosaur. But that being said, he's under contract. And the Mets are going to have to play him, either in right field or at first base. And I do think his bat will bounce back. I think you'll see the home runs from him at least. See, to me, I I look at him as more untradeable than Ligaris. Because I don't know how much of the money that you would have to pick up uh, in order to get somebody to take him. Because, as you said, uh, I think teams kind of view him as a dinosaur. Uh, it was the not, not the model that they're necessarily looking for, and and I, I I'm perfectly fine with him being on the team. Uh, I think uh, playing some in the outfield, playing some at first base, uh, I, I I can certainly live with that. Uh, if I could go in the way back machine, would I sign him to the deal that he got? No. He but didn't given, sign a he didn't sign a monster contract though. No, and and if you go back and and look at the reactions that people had on the day that he signed that contract. The overwhelming reaction was positive yeah. that the Mets the Mets either made a a solid deal or a good deal. No one was no one was was bitching and moaning when he signed it made, that deal. It, it made sense at the time. In a lot of ways, it checked a lot of boxes, as they say. Um, but he didn't play first base as much as we thought he would. He was injured a lot more than he than we thought he would be, um, and he struggled. He was trying to play through an injury that I don't think was the best idea, but his bat started showing signs of life towards the end. I think he can still hit. He's not 40, you know. Um, he's still a big, strong guy, um, and I think he's a good clubhouse presence. I don't think he's the worst guy. I just if he's one of the three best hitters in the lineup, you've got a problem. And that's the same for Todd Frazier. If they had one of those guys, it would be okay, but they really should not have signed both. And that was what I think I blogged about last year, was that either one of those guys would be fine, but they should not sign both. 
Well, um, uh, I, I guess I would disagree slightly. I mean, I don't think that there's anything wrong with uh, 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 Bruce, uh, especially being your, your third best hitter. And obviously the Mets were hoping that, that Cespedes and Conforto would be the big two and fill in after that. Uh, and I, right now you'd have to look at Nimmo uh, being in that, uh, in that group as well, but they don't have Cespedes. So it's Nimmo and, and Conforto and then, and then what? And, you know, maybe Bruce can come back and, and be the guy that he was in 2017. I think that would be a, a real nice thing. And, and hopefully Frazier can do the same thing. Cespedes really leaves a very big hole. That's, that's one of the biggest problems that they have to address. Because, you know, they, they've got a bunch of lefty hitters. Um, but where's that other big potent right-handed bat? It's not Todd. If Todd Frazier is your next best right-handed hitter, that's a problem. Ligaris and Dorno can't stay healthy. Rosario's streaky and still swings at junk and is still coming around. They need that other right-handed bat. And maybe it's maybe it's Alonzo or maybe it's a free agent or a trade, but this lineup can't survive without another big right-handed bat. All right, last question of the night. What should the club expect from uh, your pal Zach Wheeler uh, in 2019? Oh, boy. <laughs> you ask tough questions, my man. Um, there's part of me that wants to say he'll blow his elbow out in spring training and have another Tommy John surgery, honestly. And this part of me that says he's going to win the Cy Young Award. It's almost like the Van Wagenen signing. It can swing in either direction. I don't see a mediocre year from him. His stuff is too good. If he's healthy, he'll be fantastic. Because he not only throws laser beams... But he mixes up his pitches, and his control's improved, and he's gotten more efficient. You know, he doesn't have those constant 3-2 pitch counts all the time where he can't last more than five innings. He's, he's cut back on that. Um, he's really shown me something, and his mechanics have come around. His delivery is a lot smoother. He's not doing that inverted, inverted W thing anymore. Um, I just don't trust him to stay healthy. He scares me. How many starts did he make last year? Was it 25? Uh, I think it was more than that. We started the year in the minors, and he missed a start or two because he was in the minors, and I think he missed his last start of the year. So uh, without looking at it, I'd say he made 28 or 29. Wow. Because he, he was he he was in in the rotation. Once he was in the rotation, he was in, and uh, took his turn. Didn't didn't have any DL time until they right. they held him out from his last start. How many starts did you say? Twenty eight or twenty nine. Twenty nine. There you go. Twenty nine hundred and eighty two point one innings. That's pretty damn good. He really had a nice season. And and uh, the the last start I think was uh, precautionary. You know, just like well, yeah. you know, there's there's nothing to play for here. He had a he had a fine year. Let's not ruin it and and uh, push him too much in a in a meaningless start in September. And the second half, especially, he really was like a Cy Young candidate. He, he well, was... I think it was I think it was three distinct periods. I think the the first part he was mostly terrible. Yeah. And then the second part, I think he was mostly good. His numbers were good, but I think that there was a couple of outings there that, that really kind of skewed his numbers. Yeah, he had a couple was, of bad ones. Well, um, there was one outing where he didn't get a call, and it was against the Dodgers. He didn't get a call and then uh, went to I the well that. too often and then gave up a grand slam. I remember that. 
So I, th I think in, in, that was an outing where uh, he should have had uh, either zero or one runs and ended up giving up four or five. Yep. And then there was a, another outing where he left with the bases loaded and the reliever allowed all three runs to score. Yep. So I, I think those the, the, the middle section numbers were not as good as the, the end of year numbers, but they I think he pitched better than what those middle of the year numbers said. Do you know what makes me the happiest of anything to be a Mets fan right now? Um, hmm. Uh, that uh, that you're not a uh, soulless Yankee fan? No. That who is not on our team anymore? Uh, well, I'm waiting for to be able to say Wilmer Flores for that one. No. Um, come come on. Uh, who's who not on the... railing, Who have I been railing about as long as you know me? Matt Harvey. No, Hansel Robles. Oh, <laughs> he's such an insignificant little part. Oh, you know, he it, it, me nuts. It, it's kind of you well. Know, yeah, 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 you certainly had a lot of company in that. To me, uh, when he first came up, he was interesting just because of the fact that he threw so hard. But now, throwing 97 isn't as, as big of a deal as it was. And shoot, the Mets have uh, a dozen different guys who can throw that hard. Yeah. Um, so you got to... You got to bring more to to the table than just I throw hard. And as, you know, uh, you know who did a great uh, Robles impression in the playoffs was Ryan Madsen. <laughs> and and uh, uh, you know one of the things that that a, a good manager does is being able to take the temperature of the team. And I guess he had been rewarded so often during the year with Madsen that he kept going to him. Yeah. And it just blew up in his face. Yeah. You know, relievers, they all have that, that stretch where they go through six, eight, ten starts where they just don't get anyone out. And, you know, maybe you can point to a guy here or a guy there, but every single one of them, they, they have that stretch where it just isn't there for what for whatever reason. Uh, Gesellman had two of them last year. Had, was great uh, all the other times, but those two stretches, boy, was he horrible. Yeah. So let me. can I turn the tables and ask you a question? Sure. My question is Mickey Calloway. Mm -hmm. How do you see him evolving this year or maturing? Somebody had uh, a very interesting idea, and uh, I might have read it on Mets Blog. If it wasn't Mets Blog, I'm not sure where it was, but they were talking about getting someone like Jim Riggleman, uh, a that. guy who uh, lots of experience in the NL to serve as the bench coach. And, and I thought that uh, that was uh, a really right on target thing to say, because I, I think there was a couple of times where um, they, the, the two guys coming over from the AL, the manager and the bench coach, both coming over from the AL, they weren't prepared to uh, play, uh, manage National League Baseball. Where did, and, get, where did Gary DeSarcina come from before? Well, he played in the American League, and then yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not sure all of his coaching experience but his last one was with the Red Sox oh okay yeah then that's that makes a lot of sense so um, uh, I I think that there's there's certainly room for growth for Callaway um, I would be real interested to see how much of the um, certainly the improvement in Wheeler uh, I think we saw some uh, strides from uh, both uh, Syndergaard and, and certainly DeGrom had a, a much better year last year than, than the year before. It, does that 
Um, does any of that credit fall to the, the manager? Does any of it fall to the pitching coach? Where do you divide it? I, mean, I don't know those answers, but I think it's at least among the realm of possibility that Callaway's influence helped those guys turn in yeah. the seasons that they did. I, I feel for Callaway, though, in that you know he came from Cleveland where they had such an awesome and deep bullpen, and then he had so little to draw upon. There were so few reliable arms in our pen, and then we went and traded away Familia. And it was like, what was he left with? And Jerry Blevins was struggling for most of the season. There were so few people he can turn to that were reliable, and he would just throw out whatever arm was fresh, basically, and a lot of them were just overmatched. Yeah, you know, you, you can't make chicken salad, you know, out of uh, chicken something else. Um, <laughs> but um, to, to me, the he gets a pass on that. I mean, he, he, can, yeah. only, he can only play the cards that he's dealt. The, the issue that I had when I took issue with him and, and this got better as the year went along but certainly earlier in the season whenever he had an opportunity to pinch hit for a pitcher he took it if there were, ever there was a time to take a pitcher out you know one of those 50-50 things he always erred on taking the guy out and I think he's got to trust his starters a little more yeah. you know, it was one thing when the bullpen got off to those, those first two weeks of the season when the bullpen hardly gave up a run but certainly by May when, when the bullpen didn't resemble anything at all like something good the the, the reaction should have been, well, let's go with the starters as long as we can. You know, and that's not just because of the bullpen, but Jacob DeGrom and Zach Wheeler can both hit as well as, you know, who's that guy, Renheimer or whatever? Yes. <laughs> you know, they would bring in these random people, to, or Jose Reyes, who was hitting like a buck seventy most of the year. You know, the, the most, our pitchers, most of them know how to use a bat. Uh, I, I agree completely. Jeez. Um, uh, it needs to be said that no matter how good hitting pitcher is, that a, a position player probably is going to be a better hitter. But it's not like the margin was so great that it made it no. a slam dunk decision. And and uh, I just think that he needs to, like I said before, take the pulse of his team. And it's like, well, we're winning right now because our starting pitching is really good and our bullpen we, we want to avoid. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the first two weeks of the season, it was like, well, you know, the bullpen is great. Let's turn it over to the bullpen. But, you know, after the bullpen brought the gas can out day after day after day, you should have said, hmm, may maybe we should uh, not go to the whip uh, quite so often. With but the I'll tell you, so, something I blogged about, I don't remember how long ago, maybe a month ago, I really hope that this front office is smarter than previous regimes were. They need to go into this off season with the understanding that Cespedes might not play this year. They can't handle it the way they handled David Wright in third base, where, oh, he'll probably be back by June, or maybe, you know, and, and just, you know, plug somebody in. That's a big piece that's missing, and I really think they need to operate as if, you know, he's not going to be back. And that's why I think one of the most interesting signings the Mets could look at would be Donaldson. He'd be an upgrade from Frazier... They can get him on a short-term deal. He's another right-handed bat. He's a team leader. I know he's a little older and he's coming off an injury, um, but he's not typically someone who's been injured a lot, and it was just a foot injury. Um, I think that would be an interesting one. I might could get behind that if it was uh, another market like what we saw last year, which was 
really really slow to develop and uh, you know we're, we're looking at January maybe even first week in February and uh, he's still out there and, and willing to, to sign a one-year prove-it deal uh, I don't think it's going to come to that uh, I would not be in favor of a multi-year deal for him but on a one-year prove-it deal uh, I could get behind that all right where do Manny Machado and Bryce Harper end up uh, not in Queens I don't think so either. But where do you, where do you predict? Um, you know, I, I, I haven't looked at uh, who's got money and, and who's got positions available. I, I know that somebody was suggesting that the Phillies had the, the financial room to sign both of them. I, I, I don't know about that, uh, but I, I do think that Philadelphia is, is certainly a, a reasonable uh, landing spot for one of them. And I'm not ruling out. Uh, Harper returning to the Nationals. I think Harper winds up in Philly. Um, I can't peg Machado though. I, I I'm having trouble with that one. I'm not sure where he's going to wind up. I don't think Atlanta is going to pull the trigger on him. Um, and I'm not sure the Dodgers are either. I'm not I'm not quite sure where he's going to land. Um, but I, but I I see Bryce Harper going to Philly. I see that as a perfect marriage. Um, the Nationals, interestingly, though, you know, they already lost Gio Gonzalez. They already traded away a couple of bullpen pieces. They have a ton of money locked up in Scherzer and, and Strasburg. How much wiggle room do they have? If they lose Harper, the team's really starting to thin out. And Zimmerman looks like he just had that one dead cat bounce year and otherwise looks kind of washed up at first base. You know, they've got some young emerging talent, and they've still got those two top pitchers, but they have a lot of holes. Well, you, you figure they're going to have whatever Harper was making this year to play with at the very least. Um, and I think that uh, Weeders should probably be gone after this year, so that might be another $7-8 million that they that they have available. So uh, I'm not going to cry any tears for them. No. Uh, and, and, you know, I... I You'd have to think that they're a dark horse candidate for Machado, too. Mm, well, Rendon's got one year left, and they have Trey Turner at short. But Turner's got experience in the outfield. Oh, that's true. That's true, okay. I certainly wouldn't the put other, them that's, as a favorite. That's, that's the other issue they have, is not only do... Strasburg and Scherzer make like a combined seventy million this year, or something absurd. It actually might be more. I think it's seventy-five. One of them is making forty. Um, but Anthony Rendon's entering his final year of eligibility, and he's gonna like break the record. He's gonna get at least fifteen million if they don't extend him. So then you've got ninety million tied up in three players. So I'm not sure, you know, how much they're gonna spend, and they're gonna have a whole lot of holes to fill. You know, not being uh, tuned into how the the, the Nationals uh, perceive themselves. I mean, certainly they can't be happy uh, with the year that they just had after the run that they had. And you know, do Too they much talent. do they uh, do they look to to uh, see if they can move one of those guys and reload? I don't, I don't think that's their mo. I don't uh, know, but they, that team has so much talent, and that they never advanced past the divisional series is just crazy to me. The team's stacked with all-stars. And they keep changing managers thinking that's the issue. Maybe Bryce Harper's the issue. Just having him in the clubhouse is the problem. 
They've got Soto and Robles coming up in the outfield. You know, and they have Adam Eaton, and they have Taylor, and they have enough outfielders, but, you know, maybe they, they uh, upgrade elsewhere and, and let Harper walk. I personally think that he and Machado both are not winners. I don't know that you can win with those guys. Locking up that much money in, in head case, you know, diva-type players. You know, it's one thing if it's a Mike Trout who's a great guy, but to lock up so much of your payroll and commit so many years to a guy who could become a problem. I mean, you know, the Red Sox won with Manny Ramirez, and he was no angel. Um, but then again, I've never seen either of these guys, you know, drive in 150 runs and put up the kind of you know numbers that Manny Ramirez put up. It's all, you know, potential and speculation. We've never actually seen it. All right. Well, we're kind of rambling here, so let, let's try to, to bring it to a close. Let me ask sure. you. Let me ask you one one final question. So, assuming that the money was there, and uh, our our new Wonder Boy GM <laughs> uh, somehow manages to convince ownership to sign off. On signing Bryce Harper so you have Bryce Harper who has played some center field not very well but he has experience playing center field and you have Brandon Nimmo who has some experience playing center field and Michael Conforto who has some experience playing center field could you envision a some kind of setup where the three of them rotate in and out of center field oh good god no didn't even want to think about that no and you didn't even mention Jay Bruce who I think played a little center field when he was a rookie Ah, too long ago to to besides that would be four corner outfielders who bat left handed that would be rough besides uh, uh, Bruce is the first baseman in in that uh, scenario anyway but certainly it it would make the, the lineup lefty heavy but Harper hangs in well against lefties. He certainly does against Jerry Blevins, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I, I think we should uh, should wrap it up. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, Matt Netter for uh, sitting in uh, with us tonight and talking about the Mets. And uh, uh, Matt, have a thanks great Thanks for night. having me. You too. All Take right. care. Thanks everyone for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now.